0: Welcome to Protect Our Past, where we are passionate about the historic identity of Cape Cod and the islands. We are so passionate that we love to talk about it on... Where are we? Oh, we're at WOMR, our favorite radio station. I'm Ellen Briggs, founder and president of this nonprofit organization, And I believe, and I think everyone else who's part of POP, believes that the media is the best way to get the word out that saving the iconic structures of the Cape and the islands is imperative. And we have guests here who are going to help you understand why we think that way. But if you haven't seen our most recent film, Love Letter to Cape Cod, it's real easy. It's only 30 minutes. Just go to our website, protectourpast.org. And press an area that says, watch, and it'll come right up and you'll be entertained. In fact, probably my favorite rating that we've had so far, though we've had a lot of good ones, is we've been given a whole tomato rating. How is that? That just makes me feel warm all over. Hey, Matt.
1: Ellen, how are you? Happy March
0: Madness. Oh, is uh, that's why I've been having the way I've been lately. Thanks for reminding me. Matt. It's good is, to see you. How have you been? I've been fine. Matt is our co-host. Did you just
1: have your hair done? It looks good today.
0: Oh, you know what? Thank you. I think it's just that the air is really dry. And it's not all fizzy and fuzzy, And yeah, thanks. You You're welcome. Too, well, you
1: know. you, oh, thank you. Well, uh, you mentioned we have a special guest today.
0: Oh, we sure do. It's one of my favorite new friends, Richard Ventrone. You want to tell us all about him?
1: Well, I'm actually going to let Richard do that for him, but allow me to reintroduce myself. And again, it's great to be a member of the um, WOMR listening uh, community. Uh, I'm Matt Holden. I I co-host here with Ellen. And uh, today we have a gentleman by the name of Richard Ventrone, who is a notable preservation architect uh Richard recently moved from Newport Rhode Island to Cape Cod and now serves as the senior architect for the town of Barnstable. Welcome Richard. May I, may I call you a preservationist?
2: Absolutely. I'm proud to have that designation. Absolutely.
1: Well, give us a little background on yourself, Richard. I know I did uh kind of an intro there for you, but
2: Sure. Um uh, I'll
1: tell you a little about how I came to be here.
2: Um, uh, I am a preservation architect. Uh, the, The short history is I had my own firm for 10 years. I worked for a Newport firm actually for 12 years before that. Then I went on my own for 10. And in 2018 I had decided I wanted to do something else and the Newport Mansions, the Preservation Society for Newport County, was looking for a preservation architect for all of their homes, 11 really important historic mansions. I applied for that job and got it, which was a dream come true. And then we had a little something called COVID come up a year after I started. I don't know if you heard about it. But um, uh, in June of 2020, a year after I was hired, I was laid off with 70% of the staff. And uh, that job I would hoped would come back. It never did. Because uh, remember, we at one point thought we were all going to get that herd immunity and it was going to disappear. That never happened. And um, I started to uh, think of what I wanted to do. And... Uh, I decided to leave. It was either Vermont or Cape Cod. I wanted to go to a place that had a sense of place. And as you, I think, would agree, both Vermont and Cape Cod are very Mm -hmm. particular places. And a job came up with the town of Barnstable. And uh, I applied for it. And luckily, my husband was willing to relocate with me. Mm -hmm. And uh, as devastated as I was to lose that job at the mansions, being here is so much better. And in fact, yesterday, I was in Rhode Island to visit family. And was thinking I could never leave Cape Cod now and move back there it's such a special place which is why it's interesting we're talking about this today because there really is no place like Cape Cod
0: you know I want to ask you first help us understand you know we hear someone's a a restoration or historic preservationist and you are preservation architect. Yes. So you just clarify what the difference is.
2: Sure. Um, Most people think of architects as being people that design buildings and most people go into architecture with that desire. They want to make their mark. They have a vision. They want to put it out there in the world. A preservation architect has chosen really to focus on historic buildings and historic building methodologies and systems and work towards preserving them. Um, but of course, you know most buildings, particularly homes, uh, we don't live the way we did 200 years ago or 150 years ago. So adaptive reuse is part of that, or or, or modifying buildings uh, to function in the world we live in today, with code requirements and uh, um, the systems we use. Obviously, electricity, plumbing, all of those things. Uh, it's a part of. It's really understanding how historic building systems work and adapting them to work to meet the modern world in a sensitive way that preserves as much of the historic fabric as you can. And that's really the root of what it is to be a preservation architect.
0: Well, we are so glad you decide to go down that road and Thank also you. to follow the road to Cape Cod. Uh, but I wanna ask you if, we keep talking about Cape Cod as having its challenges and saving its historic identity, but is Newport also struggling with that?
2: Um, yes, Newport, Newport is, it's of course, there's a difference in that Newport is a city, and Cape Cod is an entire region with many towns. That said, um, Newport similarly has a very strong sense of character spanning many different systems. There's the colonial period, there of course is the Gilded Age period, and it's all very much intact. Um, the thing I would say about Newport uh, and and the CAPE isn't unfortunately quite there yet, although Protect Our Pass is certainly working towards it, is they're a little ahead of the curve in how they um, went about protecting um, what they have with a strong historic district committee, um, uh, with zoning and requirements for historic properties uh, that have really, by and large, protected them, almost uh, entire neighborhoods, 18th century neighborhoods that are really intact. They were fortunate. They had people like Doris Duke and the Newport Restoration Foundation who early on saw the importance of these buildings and worked and had the money to invest in them and protect them. Um, but it, it's a very similar fight uh, to protect a place that can easily be um, changed with bad design and buildings.
1: mm mm-hmm. And Richard, what do you see as the key to changing um, attitudes publicly towards restoration versus demolition and builds? And and on previous shows, we've talked about, you know, people are going to do what they're going to do. People don't like to be told what to do, particularly when it comes to a second home owner community here on Cape Cod where they want to come and enjoy Cape Cod and they want to design and build a house uh, the way they want it. So, how is it? Uh, how do you change those attitudes um, without imposing restrictions and governance on people, or at least giving them the mm. appearance that that is what's happening? It's a good question. It's a difficult question too,
2: um, because unlike, say, England, where they really value preservation and in, in history and tradition, um, Americans often have an attitude about things that's very new. It's, it's we're a relatively new place. Um, I think the key to it is really in making people understand uh, certain things. One that um, investing in preservation um, is money in your pocket, first of all. If you buy a historic home um, and you choose to save it, uh, um, that really is an investment. It's also very green. I think communication is the key. with all of this global concern with climate change and and other things, to to tear down a historic building um, that is really intact but may need some work um, is a real loss Uh, and it's not very green at all. And I think we need to communicate with them better. And I think there's also a misperception that preservation can be more expensive when in fact that's not true. If you get a good preservation contractor and you design well, um, you'll actually save money and I think the other thing um, is, is and it would seem obvious, the reason they want to be here in that summer house, the reason they move here is because of this place, because of the character of this place, because of the sense of place. If you if you buy an old home and you choose to invest in it, and obviously it's going to have to be changed somewhat to adapt to your needs. Um, and you do this sensitively and with preservation in mind, um, you're contributing and part of that That chain of custody of these historic resources that make this the very place you wanted to move rather than demolishing something and building something new that just further makes this a generic everywhere place that that can
1: happen in this country. Here here Ellen the greener house may be the one right in front of you
0: yes we know that and and i just i'm so glad we have this on record now because it's what we keep saying and here you are a professional who are, are advocating this is absolutely truth it doesn't have to be more expensive to uh restore a house and it can be have a greater value when you're finished with it and all the things you said are well, things that we shout out about it
2: is true and here's part of the problem is that and I I don't mean to to cast aspersions on anyone, but developers and builders want to develop and build. That's what they do. Um, So if you go to someone who isn't in preservation, if you go to a developer, by and large, they are uncomfortable with historic, as I spoke earlier, historic building systems with historic structures. They see an old building and it puts them off. They want to demolish it, they want to start fresh. They want to go to Home Depot and get their supplies. it's funny. Very often when I'm driving with friends and we'll drive by a home that might be really run down and I'll say, My God, look at that beautiful Georgian house. And they'll say that thing, and I'll say, and I'll say, Look at that vinyl sided thing that's covered in the windows, and I'll say, Well, I don't see that. I see what's underneath all of that. And and something that you can't reproduce. Um, in a new house if even if you could try to do it there's a sense of character there's a sense of quality about those materials that even if they're built brand new it just never feels the same the very, it's interesting again I'll just ironically people come here and will stay in an inn when you go to a bed and breakfast right? Do you want to go to some new house? No. You want to go to an old home in Vermont or New Hampshire or Cape Cod or wherever it might be. And you go there and you love it. You decide to move here. And then you're going to build a new house. You can have that feeling that you had in that bed and breakfast in your home. You can own that. And a historic house is the only kind of way to really have it.
0: I hardly know what to say. It was just brilliant. That's what you, what do you think, madge? Do you could go to a do well, you go I, to a well, newly I, built inn, say I want to stay here versus one of these lovely historic inns? If, no. if I'm
1: coming to the Cape, I want to stay at the Double Tree or the Hampton Inn.
2: <laughs> well, I have to tell you, we just had to redo so our floor our kitchen we had a little bit of a flood and we had to go away for 2 days while our floors were redone. And this was Three weeks ago, I was doing that bitterly cold snap we had. We went to the um, Inn on Main in Yarmouth Port, which is literally two miles from my house. That's where we stayed. And I could have gone to a Hampton Inn with a kitchen because, you know, the insurance was actually going to cover this. This was less expensive, quite frankly, than that hotel. But there we were. And we wanted to stay an extra night because I don't live in a historic house. Is the irony. I wanted to, but we don't. Um, and... Uh, it was beautiful there, and 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 we felt at home with its smaller rooms and its more intimate spaces. And there, you know, there it is. And people want to stay there; they don't want to stay in a modern hotel.
0: You know what you just brought to mind? There's something about when you walk into an historic home, you relax.
2: Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. You walk into a brand new, modern, sleek, razzmatazz kitchen, and it's like. Okay, what am I supposed to do? It's not relaxing, <laughs> it's not a true. Relaxing it really feeling. Is true.
1: I, Ellen, I agree with you. And by the way, for uh, the OMR listeners that are just joining us, we are here in OMR studios with Richard, Richard Ventrone, who is a preservationist. Um, Richard, I have a question for you. So, when you think about Cape Cod and you think about Cape Cod architecture, what's the first thing you think of? Well, the it, Cape House. You think of the Cape, yeah. So, my question is. What was the, the reason for a half cape, a full cape, a three-quarter? It wasn't because the builder ran out of materials, or there was a reason behind why you would erect a three-quarter cape or a half or a full. Mm-hmm. I'm it's, assuming that's the case. You know, it's, you're absolutely correct. You
2: know, that form... Really, is a medieval. It's an English form. It's a, it's a, it's a simple. It started with a, a room and a fireplace. There, there's your half cape. And so, when the colonists came here, they they went to something that was relatively easy to construct and required an enormous amount of labor, labor or uh, people to help you do it. And so, there's a half cape, right? A window, two windows and a door, a fireplace. If you have a little more money, a little more family. Maybe you make a three-quarter cape and mm-hmm. another window on one side of the fireplace, a full cape. You have the two windows with the with the hearth in the center, the hearth always being the center of the house because it's where you cooked and it's where you got your heat. So it it evolved out of really necessity. It wasn't unlike the 19th century where style starts to come in, say a Greek revival, which really where the image becomes very important. Um, at this time, these are very simple, very humble homes that are pragmatic and built out of necessity, Um, and why we love it here. That, That character has maintained itself through the centuries, and a lot of these homes survive. And early on in the 20th century, people were building homes that mimicked that, because it was what made this place so charming and desirable to be in.
0: Okay, so what we're talking about um and you're helping us with is a, the pattern book. Yes. Do you want to elaborate just a little bit what a pattern book was and and um just so that everyone understands we have we protect our past and Rick is is a key per part of this um are developing a pattern book sure. from the original designs of houses on the Cape.
2: Um it's interesting that pattern books really came about in the in the nineteenth, early nineteenth century, and kept going through through the later part of the nineteenth century. Initially, they were were very involved with federal design. A lot of them were were ornamentation. Um, the Greek Revival style came out of pattern books and in, in in the original meaning of it. It was really was an ideal of what a home could be. Um, you could show you were stylish. You could show you were in fashion. If you had a home that was designed in accordance with these types of uh, of ideals they set out by with plan and elevations. In fact, there was a guy in the 1850s who thought an octagon house would be the way the answer to everything and how we should live, and that was a fad for a while. Second Empire came out of that mm-hmm. in the um, after the Civil War. That was mostly dictated by um, what was happening in France at the time in Paris. Again, style, fashion um, in the modern sense as what we're just hoping to do. Um, it would be very helpful, I think, for people who who don't know what to do and, and can be very easily taken in by builders to have um, ideal plans, plans that you could adapt and use that are in keeping with the uh, scale and massing of homes of this area, proportion, but obviously meet the needs, the modern needs. You know, We don't have you know, open hearths anymore. We have kitchens and we live in our kitchens. Um, we use them. Um, so a home that would show you, hey, you can have a house that is beautiful, that fits here on Cape Cod, that has the character that made you want to live here in the first place, and that ha- that is has in scale, massing in detail, looks like it fits and belongs here and continues this tradition
1: that we see every time we drive down the road. But it seems so straightforward. So why is there... I'll call it resistance to this very practical design aesthetic. For example, I wouldn't move to Southern Florida and build a traditional Cape house. That is correct. Um, why? Why do people fight it? Do you mean? Well, for example, uh, you know we see this trend now uh, with a lot of new construction on with gambrel oh. roof lines, which I find. I, I, no offense okay. to the listeners that have a Gambrel House, but uh, I find it kind of disturbing, and and it is so overused, and it it's not really
2: absolutely. I I know exactly where you're going.
1: Um, it it is. <clears throat>
2: excuse me. It um. Here's here's it goes again to this this irony of wanting to move to a place because it's so beautiful, and then uh, and then effectively demolishing, altering, and changing fundamentally the reason you wanted to be here. What has happened? Um, the, this is kind of a neo-shingle style. So the shingle style came out of the 1870s to 1880s. It wasn't called the shingle style, actually. That was Vincent Scully wrote a book in 1955 called The Shingle Style and the Stick Style. If you had mentioned this to any of these builders in the 1880s, I love that shingle style home. They wouldn't have known what you meant. It really was a a colonial revival where they used these forms um, – Gambril being one of them, Mm -hmm. um, um, on large, really large hotels and mansions. The interesting part is these homes, um, and here's where I think the real irony of it is, we're designing these single family homes that are enormous, um, that historically, for the same size, would have had a back of house and you would have had servants. But when you go in those historic houses of the 1880s, um, the rooms themselves are often quite intimate and small. So people are designing these enormous homes Mm -hmm. with formal rooms. Um, I think it's part of it is proving that you've got the money to do so? I don't know. But the reality is they're all living in their kitchens. And uh, and these large spaces, this intimacy that they see when they go to that bed and breakfast or go to an old house is lost in these houses. And I think people haven't been given an alternative. They don't understand fundamentally that they can live in a home that will give them the warmth and comfort and welcoming thing you spoke of, Alan, that intimacy on a much smaller scale and also for considerably less money.
1: I think you nailed it on the head right there, <clears throat> options. And we're all about options at Pop, Absolutely. right, on.
0: Yeah, well, let's talk about the greener house. You mentioned that early on. And, um, you know, s- s- larger is not necessarily better. More, Less is more in my mind when it comes to thinking about the environment Absolutely. And yet, they're building these big, huge open spaces. They think they're smart houses, so therefore they must be smart environmentally, but they're not. Could you touch on that for just a minute? Not at all.
2: Well, again, what is more green than using, if you have, if you're dealing with a historic house? Let's deal with historic houses first. If you have the opportunity to buy a historic home, Um, that fits into the landscape and into the character of this entire area that we love. I mean, let's just size it for a moment. When you're on Cape Cod, you know you're on Cape Cod. There really is no place like it. You drive down a few roads and you can tell where you are. It's why people come here. Um, Just by the very nature of that thing, the energy that had been put into building a home historically, whether it's from the 20s or from the 1820s or from the 1720s, To leave that intact, to work within that, there's nothing more green than that. Um, And quite frankly, the lumber used to make it, the lumber used to make those windows is old growth lumber. You will not find a window that is of the same quality, a modern window. The wood is much less dense. So right there, there's a green to it. If you go to a, a, a new construction home, Um, I think if people really evaluate it, and I think many of the people, if they were honest, that have built these giant, gambrel-roofed homes um, with porches and giant bedrooms find that they live in 10% of that house. And um, one of the things I used to say to clients when they wanted to have uh, a a, a, um, hot tub in some giant master bath was, I'm going to tell you, you're going to use it, you're going to get your chocolate-covered strawberries for the day you move in, and you're never going to use it again. And people are sold these ideas of this is going to be wonderful, but the reality is it's not how we live our lives. Who needs a master bedroom with a chaise uh, and and and, and a living room in it? No one, if you had servants in the 1880s, perhaps. I'll take tea in my bedroom today, thank you, Charlotte. But we work, we live, we come home, we go in our kitchen, we cook, we eat our meal, we watch a little TV, we go to bed. These giant proportioned spaces are, by and large, unused. Um, so being green means using less resources. A smaller home, one that fits within this area, is a better home.
1: Ellen, you should see the look on your face right now. <laughs> you were in total agreement with You Rowlett are my Richardson. hero, yes, for sure. <laughs> I'm
0: just going re- to play over and over everything you've said for everyone because you're just saying it all so perfectly. But it just is so sad to me that they, th- they don't stop and think about that. And so the good news is that the next film we're working on are going to address that in a mighty way. We actually have environmental um, experts who are quantifying the environmental destruction of demolition and new builds. And it's going to open up a lot of eyes. Absolutely. But you have to wait for that. You're going to be part of that film, so I'm really so. excited about it. Um, are we – what are we doing for time? I am completely – oh, we have time. Good. Well, it's
1: probably a good time, Ellen, to remind folks of where they can go get information um, yes. at our website. Uh, and, by the way, for folks that would like to be um, – a member of become a pop friend, a member of Pop Nation. You can uh, make a donation at our website www.protectourpast.org. Um, we have a variety of other social media outlets in which you can get information. You can find us on our Facebook page at Protect Our Past USA. Um, also, we're on Instagram. You can we have a YouTube channel. Our Pop reels or pop clips, as I call them.
0: Well, they're reels now because yeah. everybody does reels. Right, but they're sixty minutes, sixty seconds, the ninety seconds somewhere in there, and we keep posting some. So there's a lot. There's a lot for you to explore on our website, protectourpast.org. It'll lead you to all of that. But Richard, um, just one more thing, if you could, in about a minute, convince everybody who's listening. That you actually can live a modern life in an historic house.
2: Oh, absolutely! I'm a huge advocate for that. Well, um, there's a misconception that people have that it's difficult or impossible to live in historic historic house, and it simply isn't true. Um, one can easily adapt their life and not sacrifice anything, and and. Of course, there need to be changes in a historic house, and I don't think anyone here is suggesting that you need to buy an old house and leave it exactly as it is. Um, There will be alterations, and if you sensitively, adaptively reuse, that's the term we use, make renovations to it. For example, you could have a cape house that has intact front rooms that are magnificent rooms, and let's say has a later 19th century or even early 20th century L on it that might be compartmentalized into small rooms, a buttery, a small room, a, small, a storage area, things that we don't use today. That might be a perfect room to open up completely, maybe open up the ceiling, even though they wouldn't have wanted to do that, expose the beautiful framework. Make that big kitchen you want with a family room, with a TV. Put the bathroom in. Have a beautiful space that has character, that you live in, that people will turn heads when they walk through the door rather than some anonymous, generic new space. Um, And um, there's an intimacy and comfort level in a historic house. That you cannot, you simply cannot reproduce in a new house. Part of that, it sounds crazy to say it, part of that is that it might not be entirely square. Part of that is that it's just a little lopsided in one thing. Those things are what, and we all know it because we've all been in those spaces. Those things are what make it warm, what make it special. The quirks. They're what make it a home. Mm -hmm. And I will just say one last thing. Um, There is a website, you talk about you have a resource, but Historic New England has a website. They have the archive of the Royal Barry Wills, he was an architect in the early 20s. He worked through much later. He they have a full archive of his drawings, and he really can be credited with bringing back Cape House a Cape Cod house designs, but they're larger. They're not larger than the house itself, but they have L's on them and the wings to them. And you can look at plans and drawings of these really beautiful homes that would fit here, magnificent homes that anyone would want to own.
0: Say the name of the book again, please. Well, it's
2: its Historic New England would be the way. I think it's historicnewengland.org, but I might be wrong in that. And Royal Barry Wills was his name. And they have his archives online, drawings, elevations. And I think people, take a look. Before you design that gambrel-roofed, neo-shingle-style house, look at Look at Royal Barry Will's archive and look at a beautifully designed Cape House.
0: Wow, That's wonderful to have Ellen, that resource. We're on
1: final approach here. So, are we? Is it your? Is time it my for turn? The quote, I think, for John John Sawhill.
0: Have you heard the John Sawhill? Quote? You should know I it
1: don't by know heart. That I now. have. But I I'd love do, to.
0: I do, but I, I'll double check. Yes, yes. In the end, a society will be known not for just what it created but for what it refuses to destroy. i will into that. Think about that.
1: Until next time, Ellen and Richard, thank you. Thank it's you been very great much today. for having thank me here. It was an honor. Goodbye, folks. Thanks.
0: It was wonderful. Have a great week. Bye.